0: Welcome everyone to the Evolution Exchange. It's a platform for thought leaders within the tech industry to share ideas on current topics of relevance to our community of technology and business followers. I'm your host, Ritesh, and I'm the Growth Marketing Executive for Evolution Singapore. And today we're going to be discussing a particularly relevant topic where we discuss the future of marketing. I have three wonderful speakers with me today in the form of Marcus Lowe, Sarah Pereira, and Julian Chow. Marcus is currently the director and head of strategic communications at Temus. Sarah is the head of technology for APAC at We Communications. And Julian is the head of digital marketing at Archetype. So now, whilst I could sit here and introduce everyone a little bit more, I'd, rather mu- I'd much, much rather just place spotlight on everyone else to do that. So Marcus, could you start off with your own introduction, please?
1: Sure. Thanks, Ritesh. Thanks for having me. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, by way of introduction, my name is Marcus. I have, I have had about approximately a 20-year career in business marketing and tech. I was formerly the Group Executive Director at the Singapore office of Wagner-Edstrom. I was Sarah's colleague. I was a Regional Director for Tableau, an American MNC, and a Vice President at the Pan-Asian Education Group. Presently, I'm Director at a fast-growing digital transformation outfit called Themus. and we were formed around two years ago. We have grown to be about 200 people now, All of us are on a mission to partner with government agencies, large enterprises to bring their future forward. And we believe that that future is going to be an increasingly digital one. At Teamers, I'm privileged to be entrusted to start up and lead the firm's marketing efforts and keep our eyes focused on the future for the sake of Singapore and beyond. Um, I'm really excited to be here, Ritesh. Uh, Looking forward to take this conversation with uh, Sarah and Julian. I'm honored
0: to be in their company today. Okay, great. Thanks Marcus. Uh, Sarah, do you want to go next?
2: Yeah, that's a hard introduction to follow, Um, but I'm Sarah. I work as the head of technology PR for We communications in Asia Pacific, just recently named the best um, PR agency in Asia Asia Pacific. In my role, I've been lucky enough to do transformative work for STEM companies who are really changing the world one step at a time. Many... Many of the questions today ask about AI, and I've really been lucky enough to work on projects over the last 15 years where AI has really transformed not only the way people live, but the way they play and they express themselves. So whether it's projects where AI ensures water security in in Africa or um, helps designers to create... um, interesting designs for the Met Gala. Um, I'm really excited about the future of technology and the future of technology and marketing.
0: Okay, great. Thanks a lot, Sarah. And Julian, last but not least.
3: Hi, uh, my name is Julian. So very excited to be here. I'm the Head of Digital Marketing and Archetype. Uh, what I do is that uh, we, I work with clients both in Singapore as well as across the region, uh, helping them uh, and advising them uh, on both tactical campaign strategic planning and I've also had the opportunity to work with clients on actually transforming their entire digital marketing function, restructuring and you know building processes, help them become more efficient uh, at you know um, achieving their goals. Personally uh, I am quite excited about um, this topic that we're going going to be talking about today which is Uh, artificial intelligence and technology, and that has been a personal passion point, a personal domain of interest for me uh, ever since I started work. Um, And I'm someone who loves uh, fiddling with technology and and loves playing around with numbers. Uh, So keen to, you know, share my thoughts and to hear what the rest have uh, in store as well.
0: Okay, great. Thanks a lot for that, Julian. Now, obviously, we'll just go straight into the discussion. And we'll start off with something that's Obviously, very database with marketing, but also a little bit more generic when we look at technology first as a whole, as opposed to just AI. So, you know, the first question, just getting straight into it, with the increasing availability of data, uh, all of us as marketers, as well as, you know, the wider world for professional marketing, how exactly can we effectively leverage technology to gain actionable insights or even make data driven decisions? Uh, Sarah, do you want to lead into it first? Yeah, sure. I
2: mean, um, you know, in my opinion, marketers have not really been able to use data at scale. Um, you know, it, it might be available to them, but unfortunately, I think the skill sets and the ability to move quickly have stopped them really from using data at scale the way they're supposed to. Um, in a recent piece of research that we did around what the media across the Asia Pacific are talking about when it comes to AI and technology, um, it's clear that people are thinking about technology as a force multiplier when it comes to AI. Um, So, you know, from a perspective of how they're using technology, they're using AI chatbots for customer service transaction or using AI to find new users for existing drugs. But the key theme that came up that I think was important was the need to ensure that uh, data is unbiased. And yeah, I guess I'd like to talk about bias in data because in my mind, there are two distinct definitions that we need to make around biased data. Disinformation, or information that is spread with malicious intent, and misinformation, data that is wrong or that is incorrect. You know, quite often we might outsource responsibility to technology to make decisions, but honestly, the data so has to be said with confidence. So, in order to use AI or any kind of technology with any confidence, marketers really need to set their objectives, ensure data quality, and kind of look at human oversight when it comes to any kind of technology adoption, but especially AI adoption. So I was going to say, as someone who's worked in a lot of digital transformation projects, Ibshar, sure Julian agrees with me. Yeah, and I was
3: going to say um, that uh, how I think technology can help marketers and I think this is this can be answered on two levels. So one is on the technology on the technology front and the other one I, I want to touch on it from um from an artificial intelligence perspective. Uh and in, in my experience I think um where 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 I, what I've seen I think is that um a lot of marketers um I think I wouldn't say lack the skills but perhaps maybe lack the technological savviness to sort of um, understand how to use the tools that are available in the market right to um, manipulate and interpret data uh, and, and I say that coming from a, a perspective of uh, say for example if you ask you know how many people know how to use tools like Tableau right so which Marcus was from or competitors like Click, Power BI or Local Studio uh, and and the sense that we get from a lot of clients is that they are like yeah you know if I want to do something like this I'll, I'll either ask my, my tech colleague to build it for me um, How do I sort of understand how to build dashboards uh, and visualizations that allow me to look at my data in different ways? And I think the whole part about data interpretation and analysis uh, is not so much that I I think what what the the gap is, is that how do you harness the technology that is available to you currently uh, and use that to drill down segment or filter data such that the insights start floating up and bubbling up to you? And I think that is a skill that can be learned, uh, but it does take time. It does take practice, and and that's unfortunately some some of the resources that marketers don't have, right? Given their their and given their schedule. But I think it is definitely a a worthwhile investment, and one that we've seen helps our clients sort of go up to their non marketing or communication stakeholders, and to be able to tell them this is the value of what marketing is delivering so uh, i'll give a very simple example so um, for example we've we, we've built dashboards for certain clients um, where we were able to to be pulling data from their comms program and align it with the time frame of their uh, website right and, and sort of pull in say lead generation uh, numbers from their crm and what we see is that a comms program that was supported by social was actually demonstrating an uplift in leads without being able without any other program running at the same time, which meant that although we could not draw a extremely direct correlation, we could sort of show that there was a causational effect. Right. And it was the power of being able to show this causational effect that allowed our client to go through she or her um, sales team as well as uh, for example the but the, big- the bigger budget holders and say please fund my program. Uh, for the next year right so it's sort of these kind of things that allow um, you know marketers to really demonstrate their value you know and, and they're in excess budgets that allow them to sort of continue running the programs that they're doing or to even you know make a bigger bang or make a bigger splash so that's on the technology front and i think what's coming up from an ai perspective uh, based on what i've seen uh, on tools like ChatGPT, is that people are exploring the idea of how we can harness AI to help us interpret data. Because right now, data interpretation is still human even though the, the visualization analysis can be automated, right? So the last frontier or the next frontier, I would say, is how do you use AI to, to look at the data, maybe give you a first pass of interpretation so that um, as a human, you can have a few starting points by which you can dig further into the data itself. So I think that is how AI will be able to sort of partner with marketers and existing tools to improve our ability to analyze data and uh, extract meaningful insights from it.
0: Okay, great. And Marcus, what what are your thoughts on this?
3: It's like a free and oh, every time he's <laughs> being prompted. <laughs> I, I think his laptop is on leave as well.
2: <laughs> Maybe. JJ, hey.
0: I think he's he's still in. I can see him. Hey, Marcus. Something's happening. Yeah, there we go.
2: Hi, guys. Can yeah. you hear me? Yes, yeah. Yes. <laughs> we missed you. Sorry,
1: something's yeah. wrong with the connection. definitely. can you hear me now? Yeah, we can hear you. All good. Is this better? Yeah. Okay. So, okay. Call um, Ritesh, if you call don't mind, I'd love to add on to the insights that was um, really enjoying. Um I, I want to add on to those points though, if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah, go for it, by all means. So I, I would like to take a step back and maybe recognize that marketing, in my experience, really isn't a monolithic profession. You've got really three tracks running, right? Um, you've got the brand and communication experts. You've got growth and demand generation practitioners. And then you've got product marketing professionals. Some marketing functions, I think, have raced a lot closer to the frontiers of AI, a lot quicker than others. I think this has enabled us to see what these effects are and how they've played out. Two of these functions come to mind in marketing. The first function involves paid channels. The second function involves managing the digital marketing stack. And I I know we've got friends in technology and marketers on this call, so they will be familiar with with, um, the stack that I'm referring to. I want to just zoom in on on these two. So on the first function on pay, I think we've seen a little bit about what automated and AI-driven marketing machinery can do for paid advertising, right? We've seen this in programmatic advertising. Um, And how it really works is very broadly speaking, click, bid, and serve. And they do it at the speed of light. Um, According to a recent uh, Google AI um, survey, we found that um, Google-led AI ads saw a 16% decrease um, in costs for, cost per thousand impressions, 44% more reach, and 18% more conversion. So I think there's, there's certainly uh, a lot of potential when you use AI to turbocharge pay uh, for marketeers. But it's also curious and important to see uh, the areas where it has failed to live up to its promise. Uh, research has also shown that 56% of all digital marketing budgets were found to be wasted on ad fraud. Ad fraud. 30% of folks were from non-human traffic. 40% of marketeers cited ad fraud as the most negative aspect of programmatic ads. Mm -hmm. So I think we're looking at uh, the pros and cons uh, when AI is harnessed for programmatic advice and paid advertising, right, and that's important for marketers because that's where we spend a lot of money in. The second part of it built on on um, uh, Juliet's point, which is about analytics. I think in the area of creating the digital marketing stack of the future, um, marketers today will be increasingly will be able to have near complete vision of their customer journeys in four areas: analytics activation and then data management. But as in all things digital, you know, it's hard to measure what you cannot track, right? And, and Sarah talked about this. For example, the value of earned media, and this is this will resonate amongst PR professionals. The value of earned media in building trust happens because they are highly qualified human beings serving as gatekeepers in a news group who run the news group. Um, while digital media channels like social media and own media have tend to fare, fare poorly on trust levels, trust index, um, earned media fare very well as, as trusted sources of information. And, and that is especially true in Singapore. You know, trust in traditional media in yesterday's Reuters Institute survey shows that trust in traditional media has risen from 43% to 46 points. This year, And in the Edelman Trust Barometer, Singapore's traditional media uh, trustworthiness ranks nine points higher than the global average. And this is the equivalent of trust scores that people have in the United Nations. So I think there's much to be said about the importance of how marketers need to still engender trust, not necessarily through just paid channels, not necessarily through automated marketing, but a harmony, how how human beings, how the analog interventions uh, can help people to navigate a lot better in a digital first world. I think I'll add on to those points.
0: Okay, thank you. I think I'll, with the four different steps, i would actually be like the four different ways that you can come across a customer journey and analyze it. Uh, could you go through yeah. those four again, just mention what they were? Sure, so I, I mentioned uh, analytics and Julian covered the details of that. Channel
1: analytics, web analytics, attribution. Then you have activation. Then and activation is the traditional, the marketing funnel that we are all familiar with, right? Uh, then I introduced the third part, which is experience and that's UX. And then the fourth part is data management. And data management is interesting because in a cookie-less world, which is what we seem to be navigating towards, um, how do you connect your platform's to draw data from different silos, from different data lakes, from different warehouses, uh, that needs to be a part of a marketer's uh, yeah. thinking and you need to build a stack that will enable that to happen, right? So that you can have a complete view of your customer journey. That, that, was, that was what it was...
3: Yeah, I was going to say, that's, that's the that's the whole point of having a CDP, uh, customer data platform uh, in-house, which surprisingly, um, we've spoken to some brands before who say that, oh, you no, know, I don't have a CDP here and, and these are big tech, MNCs, surprisingly, who don't have a CDP in-house, or uh, they might have it in other regions, but, but not in Asia Pacific, and I think it's even more imperative here because we are a mobile-first region, mm. right? Um, Compared to other regions, which might be a bit more desktop-first, we are mobile-first and I think a lot of, and, and mobile penetration here indexes at, at least 1.2 to 1.5 devices per person, which means that your average user is sort of accessing your content on average three to four devices and you sort of need to stitch all these entry points together to understand to have that sort of single view of a person and, and i agree that spread analytics and um you know artificial intelligence can help we are still doing it manually at this moment in time aided by ai if ai can improve that would take out a lot of human work guesswork
0: yeah right i think the point you just made as well julian actually hits right on to to our second question right which is obviously when we've already got all this AI, a lot of automation and machine learning, and just I think generally uh, like marketing technology as a whole, how do you think that all these different technologies are gonna transform the role of a marketer, right? Obviously, like you said, it will end up uh, saving a lot of time as and that's probably gonna be the main thing that we'll see, especially in the short term. But what else do you think will actually change as time goes on? I think I know like from our previous chats as well, Marcus, you also have uh, something that you would like to share on this. Uh, what are your thoughts on it? If Marcus is around still? <laughs> <laughs> if not, we can head over right back, uh, back to you, Julian. So you can continue on the points there.
3: Yeah, so I'll, um, I um I think one of the main things that will change is our ability to make um better and more timely decisions. And I, and, and I say this because a lot of... I think work in marketing communications is you know we, we we sort of plan campaigns or we um try and do work that's based on historical data right we're always we're so, sort of working on what has come before in the past uh, and every time we you know submit a plan submit a campaign there's always an element of guesswork right like we we this is our best guess on what will work right then and it's backed by obviously it's backed by data but we're never 100 percent certain that you know any campaign will uh for sure work and give the clients the kind of um results that they need, right? We're always at a maybe 90% certainty. And I think the gap, that gap can be sort of covered by technology that gives us uh data and information in real time, allowing us to sort of go back and change, uh adjust and tweak the campaigns or, or the work that we do. And I see this across both, you know, communications, uh, marketing, PR, and any kind of external customer-facing function because um, I strongly believe that uh, the customer is always the hardest to understand, right? We, we, we will never be able to have that 100% certainty to know what's going on in the customer's mind. We are, we are basing it on surveys, on data, on posts, but that is, of course, you know, done sometimes in control environments, and we thought provide an exact view into the customer's mind but by being able to sort of use in a way what the scientists call a natural test you know like launching your campaign is a natural test environment in itself right and if we sort of follow the principles of uh, scientific experiments how do we get that data in and quickly make assessments to change or pivot the kind of work that we're doing for a brand and technology can sort of close that gap uh, by giving us data in real time Uh, and if the analysis can also be done in close to real time then that's where we can take action in close to real time as possible so I think that will be one of the main changes where uh, it moves marketers from a uh, it moves marketers across the spectrum from reactivity to proactivity right? where we'll be able to sort of take more control over the work that we do uh, and sort of drive results on our own terms
0: right I think just just before I, I I push it over to to one of you guys as well, Julian. What what is it that you would say when when we look at obviously there's so much data that's available to us now, and we're probably going to get even more. And this might be a little bit uh, counteractive to this mm-hmm. conversation, but what about the human element of just you know going through with a gut feeling as well through experience from the experience that we've had? What what are your thoughts on, you know, going through with something like that as opposed to listening to what data is telling you to? action on
3: yeah and i think these two actually have um their their merits right human uh, i think your your gut feeling in your experience uh can be right the pro the challenge is how do you communicate that gut feeling to a you know stakeholders internally as a marketer right if you if you go up to your boss and you say hey my gut tells me that we should do this it's likely that you're going to get questioned on how do you know this is sure right beyond gut feeling and and i think that's where we need. data to sort of help justify that gut feeling right uh, and i think that the correctness of the the gut feeling is often supplemented by data itself and
0: marcus what would you think on this
3: yes thanks i i want to build on um,
1: uh julian's point actually um she spoke about this from the view of a marketeer um i i came across some studies I guess yesterday just reading about um you know um, consumer behavior, and, and there seems to be a gap between choice and cues. What it means is cues is CUE. What, it, what, what, what the data showed was that one in three consumers decided against making their purchases because they felt anxious and unsure about their choices. At the same time, 70% of them feel that uh, they, they want to have performed due diligence about these choices, and this is especially so in B2B enterprise-level settings, Right. The good news is that uh, when they're able to feel that they have made, done due diligence and they're confident about their choices, 20, 20% of them make repurchases uh, when they're confident about their choices. I think what this portends for marketeers is that um, for brand marketers, trustworthiness can then emanate from a strong reputation, right? Because strong reputation forms a useful, useful signal, a useful cue, which bridges the gap between intent and search. I think AI would be able to help people generate, earn, and serve content at speed, at scale, and a lot close and bring synergy to get, bring synergy across your different channels that you have in reaching and engaging with your, your, your target audience. Um, for, for growth marketers, the second type of marketing people who will benefit from AI, I think growth marketers will be able to focus a lot better on, on user acquisition lead generation, which will ultimately lead to business growth. We talked about analytics earlier, and Julian talked about how you can use real-time data to tweak and test, deploy, agile, move, and then make adjustments to get maximum bang for your buck. The interesting thing about AI, I think, will be realized in product marketers. Why? Because product marketers in large enterprises have traditionally been vested with the mission of getting really close to the consumer, really close to the audience. That's where a lot of data is generated because everybody's on digital now. Julian talked about a mobile first world. There are digital breadcrumbs everywhere. Digital product marketers will be able to harness AI to bring these breadcrumbs together to make sense of the, the consumer journey. There are two points that I will make here for product marketers. I read this book recently called Measuring Brand Health uh, by an expert called Jenny Romano. And she talks about this theory of designing for the category, but analyzing for the audience. And what it means is that she's found that through research, uh, instead of trying to create a proposition to attract people who are different from one another, you should as much as possible attract people who reflect the category. And what that means is that if you're able to do so, you would be able to scale and grow and not just serve a niche segment. And that's really the... It is. How do you really scale, right? Um, now, you won't be able to do that just through qualitative focus groups, manual uh, research. Uh, that That's very much one to one week behind. With artificial intelligence, you're able to make use of data in real time to make sure that the consumers that you are engaging with truly reflects the, the profile of the category, the, the, the category at large. That will enable you Really, really engage, really scale, and and in real time make adjustments so that your message resonates with the category buyer. And I think that's going to be the 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 whole the the, the secret weapon or the outcome that AI can really deliver for product marketers.
0: Okay, and Sarah, what, what would you
1: think I, about?
2: I I agree with both my my learned colleagues, right? I I think you know the ability to create that um that. Uh, circle of of information where you take the data that you have and apply it almost immediately to you know um, how you engage with your audience is going to be crucial to marketers, especially as consumers become more and more fragmented. Um, one of the exciting things I like about you know some of the marketing technologies uh, that are coming out is the idea of personalization at scale, right? So the idea of delivering very um, tailored experiences to individual customers so that's annoying when you think about spam Um, but you know if you consider this the the effect of that um, on social impact programs like domestic violence or smoking cessation that's going to have a huge effect of being able to actually You know, showcase outcomes to to the people who are running those programs But also showcase how you can be more effective Um, And and it's not just social impact Obviously, that has a lot of um, application to retail Um, Also, when you think about predictive analytics, right? Um, When it comes to helping first responders in the case of natural disasters If we can truly make data-driven decisions, allocate resources properly, and sort of proactively adjust strategies almost in real time, we can really drive outcomes that make a difference to the businesses that we help. And and that in turn, as a communicator, will help me manage crisis, communicate more effectively. Um, and, And in an you know, in an issue, or or if a brand um, is in the middle of an issue, really understand what is the source of pain that we're causing people, and how can we really ameliorate it.
0: But if we go based on what you've just said as well, being able to do a lot of this in real time, uh-huh. how far along have we actually come in this? Because it seems like it will still take quite a long time until anything's really set up. You know, to 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 last as, uh, for for this duration, right?
2: I mean, that's. That's absolutely true, and I, I think you know if you if you look at technology, it's easy for us to say, oh, the technology can't really take us this far. But you know, I've been around a long time, and I'm going to say, um, you know, the first versions of any technology are really um, about showcasing what the potential value can be, and so it is the responsibility I think of marketers of um software developers to understand really what's going to make a difference um to everyday lives of people and build for that and i think what Mm. ChatGPT has done is it's taken ai which frankly has always scared people ever since um ever since you know uh space odyssey came out in 1968 people have been like terrified of machines controlling them But what ChatGPT has done has suddenly made it accessible, easy to use and actually useful. And so if we take the lessons that um, we have learned from the launch of that and we apply them to everyday problems, to everyday marketing problems, I think, you know, you will find that that, um, some of the issues that we're talking about, which is basically the lag in data um, and the inability to map outcomes to execution all of that i think will slowly go away but it's going to take time
0: um but yeah like you mentioned just now you know you gave a very good use case example of chat gpt and how you know it's it's basically helped us in in many different cases right and how was i guess slowly seeing the start of this new revolution if you want to call it that But, um, you know, before we go into the next question, what are some other innovative AI technologies that you might have seen or come across in marketing uh, that we could probably look to leverage on? Uh, I
1: I can weigh in on this. There is this. uh, So before I left Tableau, um, we were introducing a new product in Tableau uh, by infusing natural language processing in the way we did things at Tableau. The secret of Tableau is anyone and everyone should be able to see and understand data, right? And um, to do so, we don't look at data in roles. We look at data in visuals, in visualization. Um, Tableau took it one step further, enabling people to just ask questions without the Boolean logic that we're all used to when we do search. Mm, mm. Ask questions. Tableau will intelligently throw up a couple of scenarios for you. Based on the charts and data points that you might be looking for, just make the selection, ask the next question, and very soon, you would be able to do data analytics just on the basis of asking great questions. And that's back then, which was about four four years ago, maybe. Hmm. They've they've, they've since been embedded with Einstein in Salesforce.com because Tableau was acquired by Salesforce. Um, and um, I think by and large, people who are looking to make sense of data, as Julian talked about, analytics uh, would be able to tap on, on, on functions and features like that. Uh, and you can see how that plays out in helping marketers to make increasingly more intelligent uh, decisions in real time, right? Um, mm-hmm. The other thing that I, would, I will add to that is that um, it's not so much, therefore, about just acquiring hard skills, I think AI has enabled people to gain access to technology in a way that's friendly, a lot less intimidating. Um, And we'd be able to gain access to using a scientific calculator in overcoming our problem statements. And if you remember, when the scientific calculator was introduced to us in our high school, right, to solve math problems, um, the, the schools resisted going against the grain of saying, look, Uh, You can't bring the scientific calculator in the classroom to solve those problems. Instead, what happened was the Ministry of Education started to formulate questions that would require you to use the scientific calculator to solve those complex questions. I think we should be approaching AI in the same way. Um, AI should be used to enable marketers to raise our game and solve challenges and solve problems which we wouldn't have been able to do so before. I think when we approach it and look at AI augmenting the human potential,
0: I think it's going to be good for us. And uh, what are your thoughts on that as well, Julian or Sarah?
3: What, other, so, uh,
0: what are some other innovative AI technologies that you've come across recently?
3: Um, so recently, Adobe was sort of showing off. I, I, I don't remember the exact name, but uh, I saw a lot of posts on LinkedIn about how you, uh, from a design perspective, uh, you could, uh, it could sort of uh, create, uh, sort of extrapolate an image, Right. So for example, if you put a human, uh if you had a space image of a human, it could sort of create a background, you know, based on some prompts and all that. And so I think that's that's one. Um the other one that I've seen, which I think is very similar to what Marker described, is actually um, in Google Analytics, right? Specifically GA4, uh where you no longer have to save to sort of go down into a specific visualization to see for example a specific cut of the data but you can query the data based on using human language and for example you could ask um, GA for tell me how many sessions uh, from this date to this date are uh, you know originating from people who come in from LinkedIn and Facebook right so you can sort of put that data together for you so um, I, I think the, the use of AI from an exploratory perspective right to reduce the amount of um, the 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 height of the hurdle that one has to sort of cross in order to get used to a platform is really going to like Marcus says um, you know help marketers up their game because yeah. imagine if you were able to access a tool like Tableau right uh, where you could upload your data uh, and instead of worrying about okay what kind of visualization do I use so I use a plot you know, do I use a scatter plot? Do I use a bar chart? Right. You sort of let the AI take care of that, and the most important thing for you is actually not how you visualize the data, but what kind of again going back to the earlier question, what kind of insight you get from it. And if you're able to cut out the pain of being able to visualize and process it, but just able to go straight into asking that question, imagine how much benefits you know um, the whole community of, of communications and marketing professionals will gain.
0: And Sarah uh-huh. and- do you, what are your thoughts
2: i i mean i i'm gonna say that you know from a perspective of tools um there there are obviously the, the ones that are being used in the creative space which is image generation there's a lot uh, being used in content creation but from my perspective i feel like while the tools are important from an administrative point of view, making sure copies perfect and everything else, I, I I kind of worry about outsourcing responsibility to things like to tools like AI. I think you know we we're not at the space where technology is perfect where you know you can protect um, the rights of original creators. and so, from a perspective of ethics, I, I feel like one of the things we need to consider as well is when we're using these technology tools, are we sure that the right ethics are in place to make sure that we're, um, number one, using the right data? So I talked a little bit about misinformation and disinformation. But also, are we protecting the rights of our original content creators? And if so, um, how how is the organization protecting them? And I, I think this is... a a key responsibility of communicators and marketers within those organizations to talk about how they're actually dealing with privacy. Because right now, I don't feel like, I feel like we're using these tools and we're testing them, which is great. I, I think that's important. But I, I feel like we're not asking enough questions around how the data is gathered.
0: Right. I think you make a very fair point as well when it comes to you know content creation, when it comes to image creation specifically. Uh, especially in the last, probably say now a good couple of years, uh, you see a lot of artists that have come up, like digital artists, in in using you know things like Dali, using Mid Journey. I guess to some degree it, it, it's it's oversaturated already, right? How do you? I don't think it's it's so much about just the ethical laws that you might have in place to protect them, but it's how do you control what they're creating as well and what they're putting up online. You know, and and how do you keep track of everything that goes up because of the sheer volume of it that goes up, right? Um, I think if if we move as well into another question that came in from the audience, actually. Uh, Marcus, this is directed at you a little bit more. Um, How does design for your category, in terms of what you said, meet personalization? You know, what, what were you trying to convey here? Was it to rely on analytics or AI to personalize as opposed to doing study groups or market studies?
1: Yeah, so actually, it's, um, not, um, it's not a binary choice. Uh, design for the category really takes place in your evaluation of brand health, right? Uh, are you tracking well uh, from a brand perspective? Are you attracting uh, people from the category that reflects the category profile? So that's, that's one. Um, that works because you are assured that you are not reaching too niche an audience, that your, your product has category appeal. And that's important for most marketers because we want to grow, we want to scale, and you need to have that broad appeal. Um, the part about personalization, I think, comes in, uh, and it's very important, in the types of messages, content that you would serve. Um, you know, when you think about it, it's actually uh, quite interesting because it's not just about um, having content that would appeal to a certain demographic profile. You have got a variety of... of um, situations where content can be served. That's specific to channel, that's specific to your, which part of the journey you're on, that's specific even uh, to a consumer's usage occasion and state of mind. So you can have both. You can make sure that when you track for brand health, you are, you, you are attracting people that reflect the category profile, but at the same time, you can optimize the way in which you engage with your consumers in a way that they would best like to be engaged. And I talked to earlier about choice and cues earlier, Based on that Google study, and I think AI can certainly help in that regard. Now, here's the problem. Um, you, it's hard to measure what it's hard, it's hard to put a measurement around what you cannot what, what you cannot track, right? And the truth of the matter is that there's still so much useful data that's not found in digital data silos. Right? So I say that again, there's so much useful data that exists outside of the digital breadcrumbs. That exists in people's behavior and activities online, right? Um, what that means is that all that useful data seem to still be residing in, in the institutional memories of fellow human beings and society, and not all of this data is articulated digitally. So you won't capture those data in your in your in your silos. That means that it's also important, just as we think about uh, putting in place trackers, listening posts, analytics. That we are also conscious that there's a lot that a lot of value that still exists in the analog world. I think it's important that we examine what these limits and potential of the analog world is and what the potential that they hold, so that we can market as marketers we can arrive at a complete picture of the consumer journey and the consumer experience. And and that's that's my response to the question. It's not an either or. It's it's just for different purposes. One is a brand health tracker to make sure that your audience reflects the category profile. The other is personalization, which helps with the effectiveness and optimizes the content uh, that your customers get to engage and experience.
2: I, I think that's a really good point, Marcus. I, th- I think you know all of the data in the world. If we don't look for inherent bias within the data, then we're not we're not designing for our audiences. And I think that's why curiosity com- continues to be a um a key attribute of marketers we have to be curious we have to be curious about the way our customers behave we have to be curious about what's happening in the world around us absolutely
0: um if i if i move on to the to the next part as well and i think this is it's actually coming into a very nice direct flow here as well is when it comes to you know leveraging on all these new tools uh especially in the workplace especially in marketing you know what other skills or qualifications would we need as professionals to remain competitive and relevant? You know, with with so much coming up, with so many different, um, you know, aspects of technology that I think, Sarah, you mentioned it earlier on, we don't quite leverage on everything the way that it's it's probably presented to us. You know, our, our knowledge and experience on certain things are very limited, but at the same time, it could also just come across as Maybe certain features of certain tools or products we just don't really re- re- we don't really need them, right? Mm-hmm. So, what what would your thoughts be on this in terms of how we can remain competitive and relevant a little bit more, and what skills or qualifications would we
3: need?
2: So, I um, I actually have some data around this. So, we communications surveyed about four hundred communicators across um, major organizations about what skills they were starting to hire for. Uh, so 87% said the ability to write a good AI prompts and queries. Um, so basically AI whisperers, you know, uh, capable of whispering sweet algorithms into the years of AI. Um, and then 82% said human-computer interaction, so understanding what the customer journey was. Um, and 75% said they were looking for data analytics experience and for the first time actually in a survey like this i saw that 50 percent said they were looking for the ability to code um so you know as always the idea is you know you you basically hire for skills but then you also look for the main attributes of uh, a marketing person curiosity um, emotional intelligence the ability to to take data and actually, you know, um, translate it into executions that matter. Um, so, you know, even though we're always going to benefit from developing technology skills, skills in data analytics, AI integration, strategic thinking, human qualities like um, creativity, emotional intelligence, and adaptability is always going to be crucial to staying competitive, especially in marketing.
0: Okay, great. And Julian, what, what would you add on to that?
3: Yeah, um maybe if I can tackle this from a different perspective rather than talking about skills. Um I I just kind of want to talk about it from a from a mindset and learning perspective. Um and I I think what what AI uh, there's this quote that has been you know circulating on LinkedIn saying that uh it's not AI that will take your job, but it's someone who knows how to use AI that will take your job, right? Mm-hmm. Uh and who who is this person that will whose job will be taken, and I suspect it will be, it might be, uh, and Goldman Sachs sort of put out a report on this, right, that it might be people who are single-disciplined or singularly skilled, need people who won't, who sort of know how to do things in one domain uh, and, and sort of just do things in that one domain itself, uh, which then speaks to, I think, the importance of having a uh, interdisciplinary mindset. Uh, meaning to say that even though you are somebody who, like us, is working in marketing communications, it doesn't just mean that uh, you should only be learning things within this discipline or this domain, right? Uh, you should be looking at domains, say, like psychology, like law, uh, or even like social work and seeing, you know, how can I sort of incorporate and bring what is outside of my domain into my work? And and that aspect of, you know, innovation and creativity is what's going to set you want apart from AI. Because at, in its current um, incorporation right AI is actually generative AI is actually based on uh, LLM which is um, a model that predicts what can happen based on what has been what has happened before hence an AI at this point of time is not able to for example you know take things and blend them together it's sort of just looking at what's gone before and predicting what might come sort of trying to extrapolate or find a best guess of what might come after right and what sets us apart is our ability to sort of combine, right? And that speaks to our human ability, to combine things from different domains and bring them together and make something new. Uh, and I, I haven't seen proof of you know AI that can do that yet at this point in time across some of the you know the major tools that we're seeing today. Uh, so if we sort of lean into that human element um, of being able to learn from across various disciplines, that's what's going to keep us uh, as professionals valuable to society uh, and also valuable to, you know, the organizations that we work for.
1: Hey, Richard, I want to weigh in here. Um, For what Julian mentioned earlier, you know, it reminded me of a a forum that I attended recently where my wife had the chance to moderate a panel uh, with the former head of the the Singapore Civil Service. Um, He was answering a similar question, which is about the future and about Singapore's future. Um, and, and he said something that, that struck me. He said, uh, when Singapore came from third world to first, it was relatively less complex than the challenges that we're facing today. When we came from third world to first, all we needed to do was go around, take a look at the best practices that happen in first world countries, try to import them, experiment with them, and then scale, right? There were reference points. When you become a first world country and you are pushing at the boundaries, you need to push the envelope. And what that also means is that Um, In addition to the deductive skill sets, which are fantastic for um, uh, technocratic professionals, we need to also blend it with a sense of imagination. Um, He cited a story about his visit to Block 71, which is at Aya Raja, one of the hotbeds for Singapore startups. He visited the startup, she chatted with a few people, and he asked the startup founders, you know, uh, what's the biggest challenge that you face and the response was my mother And she said, what do you mean your mother? She says, my mother because uh, When I decided to do this uh, Going to this fintech sector uh, I, I I felt really passionate about it I felt that I had a business to do um, The mom said, why are you so stupid? You know, why don't you join DBS? They'll pay you well uh, They will let you do fintech They will, they will be happy to back you up uh, And it's risk-free um, Now, that tells me That um, you know, we are we are not. Perhaps the biggest roadblock to creating an imaginative, innovative culture could be the people of the dif- of the previous generation, or parents. Why? Because when we consult them, they seem to be the ones who are most uh, adamant in change and taking risks. You know, especially when you think about the fact that only two in ten startups would succeed. So when we think about the importance of imagination, um, I think that is an arena that um, AI hasn't really uh, demonstrated competency in yet at this point in time. It's very much deductive skill sets based on data from all around and massive amounts of data. Uh, making sense of that future, though, comes from consciousness. And even amongst human beings, we haven't really figured out where consciousness comes from. Um, and it's that certain magic or that certain um, unexplainable... A quality amongst human beings that I think would set us apart and would hold us in very good state as we try to harness AI to augment the human potential. So back to Julian's point about uh, the importance of imagination, uh, I think human beings will continue to remain relevant so long as we continue to keep that sense of imagination and curiosity alive.
0: Right. I think that also just builds up into the last point as well, which is, you know, and, and this is probably for, for some the, the juicy debate, if you want to call it that, But, you know, would AI lead to mass unemployment, especially when it comes, like, you know, if if we're looking at things on a marketing level, you know, what would your thoughts be on this? Like, you know, would would there be mass unemployment or just new jobs appearing or even old jobs evolving? And do you think, I guess, to some degree, if there are new jobs appearing, do you think anyone's mother would be opposed to their child joining?
2: (laughs) But you know any any kind of new technology change is is scary for people, right? Um, you know when when they first started putting word processing programs on on computers and making that accessible to anyone, um, suddenly people who could you know use typewriters were kind of out of a job. Um, there's always going to be um, some displacement and it's clear that with AI really, it is the people who, the people who will be most affected will be the people who may find it hard to navigate into new professions, either because of age or maybe because of other factors, right? So my belief is that rather than a complete job replacement, AI is going to lead to an evolution of marketing roles. So you need to adapt and upskill for sure. Um, But, you know, as Marcus said, the, the key things that make you a good marketer, curiosity, the ability to connect to your customer, strategic um, decision making, all of those things are going to really be what keeps you employable and, and keeps you at the top of your game.
0: Right. And then, like, you know, if, if I if I touched that along with a point Julian had made earlier on, actually, which was, you know, for some they're just specialised, right? You just keep that fine line in terms of what exactly it is you're doing. Hmm. You have to be adaptable, obviously, as, as a mark, especially if you're an all-rounder um, when, it, when it comes to marketing. But for those who specialize in something in particular, where do they go from here? For instance, you've got someone who might just be a copywriter, right? The easy example here could be, I leverage off AI to help me with my copywriting. But that in some cases as well, they might be, I guess, required to move on into something else as opposed to specializing in just copywriting they might be expected to do something else within marketing, right? So if we take all these other examples, especially when it comes to, you know, digital art, the way that things have been moving forward, you now don't, now you don't see as many, I guess, you probably do see a lot of graphic designers still, but you'll see a lot of them moving into digital art or a lot of people who are trying to see how they can use that now into, in their marketing campaigns. So there's so much more specialization for certain things. Where does the adaptability come in to play there?
2: so my perspective is that yes there there will be one-for-one job replacements you know maybe a copy editor may may not have a job because that's something that can be outsourced a translator but there are nuances that only humans can pick up um Mm -hmm. and and that's because we are human and we bring a uh a plethora of experiences and a plethora of relationships to every engagement that we that we make either with customers or with stakeholders and so you know from my um you know if we focus on things like um, specific jobs that will go away that's that's unfortunately just the effect of progress and technology but I feel like there's going to be so much more that technology is going to bring to the job equation that's going to allow us to do more things and do them better Uh, you know with AI integration data analytics algorithm development strategy formulation all of those things are going to actually become so much better become so much more effective and so I guess as you know um, as marketers our job is to number one, kind of stay ahead of the curve, but also understand what we need to do in order to um, make ourselves marketable in the future.
0: Okay.
3: Julian, what are your thoughts on this? Mm, I, I agree. I, I think it's, I mean, if you look back to some of the previous examples of so, what well, well, we would call those great leaps in terms of technology, right? The last one was digitization. Uh, mm-hmm. a, 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 Even though it's still going on today, I mean, uh, if, if we think about, you know, how... Uh, we even we go back to the to automation right and how because of automation it sort of allowed um process sort of machines and processes to replace you know the need for maybe certain human intervention and that sort of changed the job market so it's a cycle right that it occurs over and over uh and the the thing is being able to sort of see from a positive standpoint, right, how it augments your job versus how it replaces your job, I think is going to be an important mindset. Because if you look at it from hey, this is gonna replace my job, uh, you're either going to say, I'm gonna bury my head in the sand, and try to not think about it until it happens <laughs> or, um, you might say, you know, what? I'm gonna change my profession, blah blah blah, I'm gonna find something that's a bit not so replaceable, right? But if you sort of look at it from a how can it augment my job and how can can it make me a more effective professional uh that's when you start opening i think opening your mind to the possibilities of can i try this can i experiment with this can i sort of bring these two elements together um you know that that uni- uh, that ai allows me to to make sense of right so I, I think the the mindset is important for us right regardless of what vocation we do and i think uh, what's limiting us, like, like in the example you said earlier, right, the copywriter example, is how you know what's limiting us. I think it, it goes back to our mindset again, right? If we see ourselves as purely a this, then we're always going to say, "I'm doing this." Uh, if I always see myself as a marketer, then I, I'm just gonna going to just do marketing all my life. But if, you know, if you sort of see yourself on if your self definition is sort of broader than just the profession you're in, uh, that allows you to. Broaden your horizons and to see where you know um, technology like AI can take you. And you, we've seen right people change profession, change vocations because they were able to sort of you know master certain skills or certain tools, uh, and evolve their careers as as they they, they went along. Okay. So I think that's the opportunity. Yeah. Okay.
0: And Marcus. Uh,
1: yeah. uh I I completely agree with Julian and Sarah. In fact, what I would say is that I think we're, re- we're living in really exciting times the possibilities of of the future, what that reality looks like, I think it's still being shaped. Um, I think CMOs will see moving forward a strong need for personalization, Sarah talked about that, better customer experiences, and and better predictability of of outcomes. I think CMOs, the feet of CMOs will be held to the fire by fellow business executives. Whether we will evolve or be replaced, I think there are two schools of thought that are, still, that are still playing out, right? The first is we've seen how the mass production of cars in the previous industrial revolution displaced horses, but they didn't displace riders. Riders just found different work, right? And Sarah Tok gave it the example of speech writing or copywriting. You know, good speech writers can write really... Um, lyrical speeches you know but the best speech writers I think are truly valued for speeches that express what is not being said that nuance is something that I think still requires human intervention human judgment to craft and to create for their executives for their full spokespeople um You know, the World Economic Forum in 2020 reported that automation might displace around 75 million jobs, right, by 2025, but the same report also said that it will create 133 million new ones, and that means that there's going to be net positive job growth. That's the first school of thought, right? Augmented uh, jobs are not going to be replaced because human beings uh, are not horses. The second school of thought, however, isn't so favourable. It proposes that, unlike previous industrial revolutions, human beings aren't the riders. Human beings are the horses, and we could well be treated like the horses that get put out to pasture, just as companies replace jobs with AI functions. That's the other school of thought. So it remind that reminds me of an analogy, you know, um, of the mass production of cars. There was a conversation that apparently Henry Ford. Had with a leader of the union and the workers' union. And he said, No, he told the leader of the union, he said, You know, one day I'm going to automate all of these and I will not need your workers anymore. So there's no need for a union. And the response that the union uh, leader gave was really interesting. He says that, Well, when you automate all of these uh, processes and you put the workers out of the jobs, who are going to buy your cars? Who are the customers who are going to afford your cars? So that means that robots can't buy cars. You still need to get the economy going. Uh, Human beings are still needed to be customers in order to generate and create value if that's the economy that we still exist in. So I think the kind of future that we want really is up to us to, to shape and create. And I think for this, it will take intelligent design and not natural evolution for us to arrive at a just transition to a workforce that can power that digital economy, that's inclusive, that it's an economy that's set up for all of us, right? Where human beings, uh, where AI is at the service of human beings. Mm. And the reality, I think, is that human beings still crave trust between one another, and that's the idea of social capital that cannot be done away with through automation. I think human beings are still also open to transferring, learning new capabilities, and we have that capacity to learn, and we have that capacity of, of transforming. Um, I I just want to uh, close off with with an example, first hand example from Temasek's standpoint. You know, all of us in uh, are, are faced with a tech talent crunch, right? We are finding it so hard to hire people, um, and 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 Evolution Singapore is doing a great job in helping companies to search, find great tech talent to supplement or to, to power our continued growth as a company. Um, one important way for us to to keep the talent pipe growing in Singapore is for us to really help people to convert to becoming a digital talent. Um, So what we have done is we have launched this program called Step It Up. It really has only three criteria for people to apply for the program and start on the program, and they can be then converted to becoming a digital talent. First, you need to be a Singaporean or a PR. Second, you must not have any prior tech experience or tech background or tech qualification. And number three, you need to demonstrate the right motivation, intent, and capacity to be able to convert and grow. We have run the first program, and uh, we have graduated our first batch of about twenty people. We are going to be graduating another batch uh, in July, and and these folks who join the program on the program and are graduating are people from a diversity of backgrounds with zero tech knowledge. You know, they 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 are like optometrists, they are platform delivery riders. They are financial analysts, their editors, and they decided to take the plunge so that they be- can become a part of Singapore's digital workforce. That experience on a first-hand basis that we have seen at Temas gives us the confidence and the hope that people won't be displaced, provided they provide they, they, they possess the right motivation, intent, and are willing to seize the opportunities that are provided for them to make the conversion and join the digital workforce. So I, I'm, I'm totally positive on human beings adapting to that future and remaining members of the productive class, even in the digital economy. Ritesh.
0: Okay, great. Thanks a lot for that, Marcus. It was actually quite interesting, how, especially how you used the analogy about, you know, being the horse versus being the rider as well and seeing how it shapes everything. It actually comes together quite nicely and it ties in really well. Um, we've, we've actually got another couple of questions as well in the chat, just conscious of time as well. But i wanting to, you know, ask a question that came in very, very early on in this conversation, actually. Uh, And I'll I'll throw this one to you, Sarah. Uh, When it comes to, you know, PR and comms, when it comes to measuring perception or opinions, data is mostly unstructured, right? Do you believe that we can eventually track these perceptions or opinions on the fly with technology?
2: I, I think we're getting there. I, I don't think we're quite there yet. I think right now, you're right. Everything is in, in different silos and we're having to stitch it together. But if we are intelligent about the way we want to design what that looks like, I, th- I think we'll eventually get there. But I think it's not just technology because sorry, it's not just data being stitched together. It's also Humans looking at it and looking for inherent bias, and and I think, you know, one of the things I said right up front is, you know, you cannot outsource the responsibility of marketers to uh, connect to your customers to understand what uh, your your um, your stakeholders really need, and so you know the idea of um, kind of. Yes, all of a sudden, we're going to get all of this data together and then that's going to be perfect data. That's actually never going to happen, I think. I, I think um, it needs a human being to look at it. It needs a human being to um, to look at the bias and the context in which that data is, is gathered and then to make decisions around how it's going to be used. Um you know, if you if you think about what is the job of a marketer, it's always been to translate the purpose or the why of a company into actions and activities that potential customers will understand. And all AI or any kind of technology will do is make that easier by automating certain administrative tasks, bringing data together, providing data at scale and with a legibility that we can only dream of at the moment. But our profession is one of constant change and we really have to jump in fully and understand what we want to get to so that we can make it happen.
0: Okay, thank you. And I think we'll we'll end off with one final question as well before we go into, I guess, some last thoughts from all of you. Um, you know, there are differing opinions on what separates a good marketer from a great marketer. And those, uh, what, what, do you think those characteristics will change based on AI? I,
1: I think what um, I think, great marketers will have to find a balance between creative messaging, storytelling, with data-driven acquisition, and that those skill sets speak to expectations that people will have towards CMOs. Um, I, I mentioned earlier how CMOs, the feet of CMOs, will increasingly be held to the fire because the cost of capital has gone up, especially in recent times, right? We know interest rates have gone up and so on and so forth. Cost of capital has gone up. It's very tempting for businesses to appeal to the bottom line, demonstrate profitability, at least in the short run, and then get through, uh, win the confidence of their investors. I think marketers have a duty to demonstrate how growth continues to be important. Revenue generation, top line growth continues to be important, but it's not Just growth at all costs, right? You need to grow in a way that's efficient, that demonstrates a high return on investment, that demonstrates a high return on capital. And I don't think it is possible these days, uh, especially with the feature, with how prevalent digital is, to be able to grow without taking references, taking reference from the data that's generated, or making sense of the data to further test and optimize how you're growing. Um, So that, that also means that I think AI would have to play a central feature in enabling you to grow at scale in a profitable way. Uh, so you will need both. And to Jake's question, I think, therefore, uh, AI will help marketers to set themselves apart from the less high-performance ones.
0: Yeah.
3: Uh, um, Julian? I I Yeah, I was going to say... So I, I, I'm i going to start with a bit of a story. So uh, earlier this week, um, I was speaking to the, the CEO of Prudential in, in Singapore, Um, and I think the way that um, I think there are two views on on what is a good versus a great marketer and and two views from different perspectives so there's the view of the marketing practitioner on what is a good and great marketer and there's a view of the non-marketing practitioner on what is a good and great marketer and I think those views are different I think marketers for, for people who are in the profession a good marketer and a great marketer are separated by things like uh, you know the mastery of skills, mastery of tools, um and so on and so forth. But if you look if you ask people outside the profession, right, they would say that a great marketer is somebody who work is working in marketing but actually understands the function of the entire company. I right, so, so I think those are the two different views. And I think if we we talk about the view from outside the profession, that's not really going to change based on AI because that view, uh the view that you know that uh function holds is that you need to understand the entire organization before you can be a great marketer. You need to know how customer service works, you need to know how operations works and all that. Right? So I don't think that's going to change based on AI because that speaks to the need to sort of immerse yourself in different fields right? Uh, in order to sort of gain a knowledge of how the organization works intrinsically, how the customers behave intrinsically. Uh, but if we sort of take the, the marketing professionals view are what separates a good marketer from great on you know a good versus a great marketer then I think yes um because the ability to harness technology uh might be one of those things that will you know sort of separate a good marketer from a great marketer uh and, and I think that, that kind of level of output that a, a great marketer can provide or the level of thinking uh, or efficiency that a great marketer can have you know in partnership with tools right it uh would sort of show the difference between you good and great
2: yeah Mm -hmm. I'm, i'm also gonna say that you know the the difference between a good marketer and a great marketer is a great marketer is never gonna say that's not my job because if you are in marketing Everything that a company does, as Julian says, is your job. You know, you have to understand customer service. You have to go out and talk to your customers. And so technology is just one of the things you have to learn and you have to be with, um, you know, be constantly um, engaging with. Um, if you think about the role of a marketer, it really is to help the organization navigate through what is quite a a frightening change I mean there's a lot of volatility in the world at the moment and there's you know a lot of change in the way people are behaving as well and so I think a great marketer at this point is going to be always curious always ready to look at um, all of the things that are happening around that and, and market in context
0: okay great thank you and I think now what we can do is we can just end on a few final thoughts as well we'll keep it pretty brief as well Overall, I'll start off with Julian. What do you think will happen now as time continues to go on? When we look at the development of technology and AI for marketing, how far along do you think it will come in the next five years? Let's say.
3: Hmm. Um. So I, I'm just going to use ChatGPT as an example uh, because I think where it is right now is sort of where our smartphone was maybe around 2007, 2008. Uh, and and what's great about the current um, play, you know, that OpenAI is doing is that it has opened up the ecosystem, right, for people to design add-ons to its base platform, which is the same approach Apple did, you know, with the, the App Store, right? And we saw how that sort of took off over time, right? So what what is needed right now are really strong use cases because... Um, the, the tools that we have for AI right now are nascent, right? Uh, and I think this is where we meet. Uh, this by by having people sort of come in, building on existing platforms and and building out specific use cases that you know marketers can leverage, or communicators can leverage. Uh, that's going to propel, I think, this whole platform integration with the profession. Um, over the next four or five years, if you ask me, at what speed? Honestly, it's hard to tell. Uh, personally having played with the tools right now I don't think they are that great there's still a lot of inconsistencies and uh when you sort of open the black box behind a tool like ChatGPT you'll notice that for example right if you ask it to tell me like for example what are the top 10 social media trends that are going to be happening this year it's actually just pulls the data from one or two articles which is not a, not a very complete view right so so I think there's still a lot of work that needs to be done um when after you sort of open the bonnet you sort of see how bare it is and 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 this is where people building into and onto the platform um are going to make it uh grow i i think that it might take about three to five years for the the vision that we have of how ai is going to augment our jobs to really start to come to life uh so i don't think it will be that fast yet but we should i guess sort of take lessons from the smartphone and how it's become ubiquitous in our lives and sort of apply that parallel rule you know the the growth of ai uh and, and start to visualize what that runway okay
0: thanks and sarah what what about your closing thoughts on us? Uh-
2: so, you know, recently I was, I was looking, um, and, and I can't remember where the article comes from, but somebody was saying everything will change this year. There's going to be the world before 2023 and the world after. And they were specifically talking about AI. But it feels to me um, like change is always around, right? Like, let's look at the past. When I first started work, I had to use fax machines. Then came email, and that was a game changer. You know, search was a game changer. Smartphones have been a game changer on a massive scale across the globe. And all of these technologies had competitors and predecessors, but the products that actually changed the world were the ones that kind of balance utility with accessibility. And the fulcrum of that change and mass adoption in most cases was simplicity. Um, And if you you look at the technologies that worked and didn't, AI, I believe, will change the world because a- ChatGPT has made AI simple, easy to use, and friendly to the average person. And it's also showed people all over the world what that looks like, like what it looks like when you have a, a product that people really want to use. So that's going to have a transformative impact on the role of marketers over the um, over the coming years. And I think you know as as working people, not just as marketers, our, our responsibility is to partner with technology and not to think of it as being something that is, you know, going to fundamentally change our lives for the worse. I think, you know, anything where you, where you have a negative point of view around it, that's going to always be a difficult situation to be in. But if you choose to partner with technology, as we have done with all of the te- these technologies that I talked about that have cha- fundamentally changed marketing, um, I-, I think it's going to be a better world for all of us. Okay, great. And Marcus?
1: Yep, I, um, I, I think uh, Julian and, and Sarah made excellent points. Um, it, rem- it reminded me about this uh, book written by uh, this author called Jeffrey Moore. He, he proposed the theory of crossing the chasm. He studied many, many enterprise technology companies. They produce software. And, and, enterpri- and a market is really created, that is a viable market is created only if you're able to take a software and cross the chasm from early adopters to the mainstream. Um, as Sarah pointed out earlier, I think generative AI, tools like ChatGPT, could well be the catalyst that's needed to enable people to move, to enable companies to move from early adopters to mainstream marketeers. Um, and that's wonderful because, you know, while it's good and well to have the iPhone, as Julia talked about smartphones, um, it's the iPhone is really quite worthless if people don't have the same device who you can call with the iPhone. you need a network um, I think that that AI will enable more people to join the, um, this this um, digital marketing reality in the future of marketing have a stake in that future and be contributors to that future so that we can build it out together and, and I'm confident about that because um, I think marketers more marketers will look at AI as enablers to, have to help them to solve challenges that are meaningful for their business who really prove themselves prove their worth in the in the field of business um, and really hold their feet to the fire I think we should look at AI as an Iron Man exoskeleton uh, rather than something to be terrified about
0: okay thanks a lot Marcus I think you mentioning the exoskeleton uh, and Iron Man thing I think if anything I wasn't thinking of it that way I'm just hoping we don't have another Will Smith iRobot situation coming up <laughs> <laughs>
3: Oh, I mean, Ultron! Right, uh, Ultron, Ultron. is the bad example. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. I think so. We've we've definitely gone over time, but this was definitely a great conversation. Uh, we'll we'll end things here for today. This could easily go into like another five or six different topics and conversations. But yeah, we'll we'll leave it here today. Um, thank you all to the three of you. It was great chatting, uh, and thank you for sharing all that knowledge and extra insight into essentially the future of marketing. And thank you as well to the audience, you know, for joining us and interacting with us today. We hope you enjoyed this live event and we'll see you all next time when we discuss another hot topic on the Exchange by Evolution. Cheers.